Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Juad as always, and thank you for joining me for this mid-season review special episode. It's just like a normal episode, but I guess we're going to be doing a lot of reflection on this one. Not of anything personal, of course, but more so the 2019 Formula 1 season to date, which still is on hiatus. We're in the middle of the summer slash winter break if you're here on the um, in the Southern Hemisphere. And I hope you guys are enjoying a little bit of a break from racing or either you're losing your minds, not having any F1 action on over the weekends to entertain yourselves. But I have to say it's actually quite good having a little bit of a break. And last week uh, there was no podcast, of course. Instead, I've got two this week lined up. I'm going to be doing the mid-season review on this one and then a separate little episode titled Market Watch, more so to talk about the silly season and what the grid will look like for 2020 based off rumours and what has been confirmed so far and you know even though we've had the the factories going to shut down after Hungary and everyone's supposedly on break there has been some news in regards to you know just a shake up of a few positions on the grid for, for as early as Belgium, um, Pierre Gasly after being told that he's not going to be losing his drive any time before the end of the season by Helmut Marko and Red Bull, has found himself relegated to Toro Rosso, and it's uh, Alexander Albon who's been um, thrusted into the seat there at Red Bull from the Belgian Grand Prix onwards, so congratulations to Albon for that. He's had a solid rookie campaign to date, but for Gasly, I guess it was uh, his cards were marked and it was a matter of time when we'd see him dropped from Red Bull even though there was that public guarantee that he would stick around till the end of the year so I guess you can't fault Red Bull for making that call and we're going to talk a little bit about that later but as always in these mid-season specials as if you've listened to us in the past We've sort of broken it up into different categories um, that sort of summarise the championship to date. So talking about the title battle itself, which essentially talks about the the front-running teams, the race winners, who's in title contention, best of the rest as well, you know, which is kind of like your midfield and your, your rear gunners and everything at the back of the field. And then just, you know... F1 in general, how it's been this year, what has the fan reaction been to what's going on, the races, rule changes, what the future, what's being talked about the future, of course, and 2021 is a big hot topic at the moment still, as those regulations haven't been set into cement and announced properly, so yeah, just to share some, you know, expanded thoughts on that you know if you've heard me all year you would have heard drips and drabs about um, what is being talked about for the future but perhaps I can elaborate on them a little bit more uh, later on in this episode so yeah good to be back actually to to talk about it spent the last couple of weeks just thinking about a lot about what's happened so far this season and what it holds for Formula One in the future and um Let's uh, get to it without further ado. So looking at the the championship itself, and we came into this season with a lot of optimism that Ferrari and Mercedes would be the guys at the top of the order, going to fight for this championship, heel to toe, toe to toe, whatever you want to say, 
and the preseason suddenly did provide us with that optimism and you know Ferrari were the quickest Mercedes we were questioning whether they were sandbagging or not and then Ferrari ended the preseason fastest came into the first race and had a shocker of a Australian Grand Prix they were off the pace all weekend qualifying the race as well they finished 35 seconds behind the third place driver which in this instance was Max Verstappen with a Honda power unit which at this point was still unproven what it could do you know in partnership with Red Bull so the benchmark that was Ferrari car wise 12 months ago at the first race was suddenly you know they were nowhere and we got the early feeling from the first race that this was going to be a intra-Mercedes title race with Valtteri Bottas stepping up he took his first win in over 12 months having had a winless campaign in 2018 so Bottas made a statement of intent which was good to see and we're like well if this is going to be an all Mercedes championship then it would be nice to see the teammate of Lewis Hamilton step it up and at least pressure Hamilton for the championship you know kind of like 2016 where Rosberg ended up winning over Hamilton in the final race so we saw Bottas win, Mercedes won too. It was it felt like deja vu from a few years ago where they were ultra dominant and we were all scratching our heads, where a Ferrari, what's happened here? And then suddenly next race Bahrain Ferrari come back. We like, all right, they're back. Uh Charles Leclerc, the rookie from last year stepping up into the Ferrari this year, a lot of hype and expectation around him. You know, Ferrari made the big decision to drop Kimi Raikkonen in favour of Leclerc and very never has it been done where they've actually gone and taken a driver in its in their second year and promoted them to Ferrari. So he in that first sorry, in that second race pretty much justified his promotion, I guess. Pole position became the youngest ever pole scorer in F one. Sorry, Max. <laughs> That's one record you can't have. So Leclerc, pole position, was leading the race and basically it was reliability, uh, mechanical failure that cost Leclerc towards the end of the race and everyone was just heartbroken and shocked that, you know, such a thing could destroy this fairy tale basically for Leclerc. But that's kind of, it kind of encapsulates the season that Ferrari have had so far. They've just had issues, whether it's the car not being good enough uh, not good with the tyres, mechanical failures, penalties, stuff like that. It's for whatever reason or not, they just can't nail that 1% or 2% th- that they need. And that's kind of like Ferrari have been over the last two years. So 2017, 2018, they started the season off very strongly. And it wasn't until after the mid-season break that they sort of capitulated and... Um, Within two or three races, the championship basically fell into Lewis Hamilton's lap and it was basically gone for Ferrari and for Sebastian Vettel. So, yeah, you know, Bahrain, hindsight, if that problem didn't happen, we would have had Leclerc as a a race winner in the second race, but it didn't happen. Lewis Hamilton inherited the victory and basically um, started his campaign off his title defense off chasing a sixth world championship this year with a win and you look at where Hamilton is now at this point in the season he's had eight wins from 12 races which has just been phenomenal 
and Bottas only just the two wins with the second one coming in um, Baku so a bit of redemption for him after what happened there last year leading the race and having a tyre blowout so by the time we got to Baku it was two wins apiece for Hamilton and for Bottas uh, four races into the season and then Hamilton goes on an amazing run as he always does at some point in the season so from Barcelona onwards he won four races in a row Canada I guess you know was one of those races where we were sort of teased by the potential of Sebastian Vettel could at that point of the year where he was quite far behind in the points could he stage a comeback you know Ferrari seemed a lot more buoyed by their form that's that weekend and even up until the Canadian Grand Prix the same mistakes that Vettel was making the year before in 2018 it it, it sort of it just it almost felt like a continuation because Bahrain he was in a good position for a podium he ended up spinning whilst trying to battle with Lewis Hamilton similar to what happened last year at Monza as well um and that was just you know you're like well if this is how Vettel is now then you can't really um you can't really have hopes of him winning a title at Ferrari or at this at that stage it was like well you know it's not going to happen this year if these mistakes are going to keep up but then when you look at the next you know the first half of the season you look at uh what happened to him in qualifying a couple of times as well uh in yeah it's just been pretty pretty disastrous for Seb you know and Silverstone was another one where he re-rendered Max Verstappen and basically cost himself any chance of a podium Ferrari were looking strong there for a podium didn't happen so it's these same mistakes that Vettel is making which you know you got is it to do with confidence or is it the fact that he might be over it now but Canada was the real flashpoint I guess in the season where he was controversial he went off the grass he went off the track he cut across the grass he really had nowhere to go did Seb but in the way he rejoined the track track it was um dangerous and it could have put Lewis Hamilton in the wall so that five second penalty a ten second penalty or whatever he got was kind of justified because it's written in the rules all this furor came up after that that oh you know he shouldn't have been penalized it's not within the spirit of racing but if that's what's written into the rules then the penalty the stewards have done the right thing by applying that penalty so we put that to bed but it did open up a can of worms about whether the rules need to be written and everything and that's what they're sort of going to be looking at um, heading into next year you know Michael Massey who's the race director this year taken over after the sad passing of Charlie Whiting and that was I think one of the one of the lowest moments of this year at the opening race as well I remember on the Friday um, before practice that uh, sorry it was the Thursday that the news sort of filtered through that um, Charlie Whiting had passed away in Melbourne. It was very, the mood was sombre and solemn and everything, everywhere, you know, fans, the team people, media people, everyone was just um, crestfallen about it. So, yeah, to lose a big name like Charlie, that's pretty sad. And then, you know, later on in the year, obviously, ahead of the Monaco Grand Prix, we had the news about Nicky Lauda as well and... Uh, already 
you know, had a lot of good things and, you know, reflections about his career said, you know, not only on this podcast, but everywhere. So, yeah, two two big names of the sport, sadly, passed this year and everything. But, you know, that's where the show goes on, you know, and we, everyone races on, you know, to honour those people's memories and everything. So, yeah, Michael Massey doing a great job in the boots of Charlie Whiting. Of course, there's no replacing Charlie himself, but, you know, Massey's doing a good job. And then, of course, uh, at Mercedes... Nicky Lauda's position was unreplaceable either. So, yeah, whether they, you know, Massey sort of alluded to, you know, it's better off if you're going to make changes to the rules, don't do it in the middle of the season, have a look at it at the end of the year and make any changes going into a new season. So that's probably the way to go. We'll see some change maybe next year in regards to that. But, yeah, it doesn't take away from the fact that Seb has once again made a mistake and basically written off his chances of trying to beat Lewis Hamilton, someone who very rarely makes mistakes now, and is in a better car at this point too. Whatever form we saw from Ferrari in Canada was pretty much gone the next race in France, and it was kind of the lowest point of this season so far, and the championship in the racing sense is because it was widely regarded as one of the most boring races ever, um even though the Chinese Grand Prix, which was the 1,000th Formula 1 Grand Prix, which was uh, earlier on, was also pretty boring. Lewis Hamilton, dominant victory, and again, another dominant victory for Lewis in France. And after that, there were so many questions about the state of the championship. Oh, you know, Mercedes, they're too dominant, they've run away with it. Uh, You know, Formula 1 is this, Formula 1 is that. But it's sort of answered its own questions during the next race in Austria where we had a turning point and it was one of the best races we've had probably in a long time. Well, we've had some great races over the past few years in the hybrid era, but possibly one of the best races in the hybrid era or even the past decade where, you know, you had Mercedes in trouble all weekend. So basically take them out of the equation and, you know, I guess that's the formula for any good race is take Mercedes out of the equation and we're going to have a thriller, much like um, Spain 2016 when Hamilton and Rosberg took each other out at turn three. So Leclerc on pole position again, Max Verstappen, his closest rival, bogs down at the start. Leclerc basically bolts off into the distance, but... What had happened is that uh, Red Bull had a different strategy to Ferrari, put Verstappen on the hard tyre. He basically came back and with three laps to go, was able to hunt down Leclerc, pass him, notwithstanding any um, defence from Leclerc. He tried to defend as much as he could, but then there was a bit of controversy which got looked at by the stewards and dismissed afterwards. But that was sort of like the moment where we're like, well, you know, this is kind of like a changing of a guard in the championship because we've got these two 21-year-olds. We've got Verstappen, who I guess you could say he's well-established now, even though he is still 21. He's had multiple seasons at Red Bull now, and he, you know, without... He just needs a, a solid car now to be able to be in championship contention. He's been winning races. All he needs now <coughs> is a car that he can win the championship with. And Leclerc himself, who's... Uh, 
stepped up into Ferrari, which is such a cutthroat environment, um, and they've not had the greatest of seasons to date. But you've got to say that, you know, he's done a fantastic job so far. Two pole positions, handful of podiums, but another opportunity wasted for him with the win and the strategy, I guess, to blame for that. So, um, yeah, Max winning that race, it was quite a significant win for Max as well. And almost like the turning point as well in the push to second in the Constructors' Championship because Ferrari, we're 12 races into the season now, Ferrari are still winless, whereas Red Bull have two wins under their belt now, which no one would have predicted at the start of the year when they made the switch from Renault Power to Honda. It was more like this year they can sort of just take it easy, but not take it easy, but fly under the radar, develop with a, a year with Honda, take penalties, grid penalties for power unit changes and everything, and get ready to, to go out guns blazing in 2020. But they've overachieved, in my opinion. I don't know what about... I don't know what other people think, but in my opinion, they've really overachieved this year. Two wins. Helmut Marco set the goal for winning five races this year at the start of the year. Thought he was an absolutely bonkers to think that but they've overachieved with two wins and the fact that they're quicker than Ferrari as well at this point where Ferrari still got the best power unit but they've just made the wrong decision as far as aero philosophy is concerned they just lack downforce on that car which will kill you at 90% of the circuits now two circuits we're going to after the break, Spa and Monza, which is which are the ultimate low downforce tracks. If they don't win there, then you know that's pretty much season done and dusted for them. But for Red Bull, they've just overachieved in all departments. And then, as far as you know, the next few races are concerned, it was also, you know, for all f- f- those races heading up into the mid-season break, they were all thrillers. So Max featured in all of them too. Uh, despite the fact he was re-rendered by Vettel in Silverstone. But it was, you know, Silverstone exciting because Bottas... Sorry, Bottas beat Hamilton to pole. And notwithstanding the uh, safety car that came out at the wrong time for Bottas and allowed Hamilton a free pit stop, uh, Bottas would have... He fed off Hamilton in the early part of the race. He would have won in hindsight. But in the end, it turned out to be another a Hamilton victory. But what we saw behind them, Leclerc and Verstappen squaring off again. Leclerc said after the Austrian Grand Prix that if this is how he wants to race, referring to Verstappen, then he's Leclerc himself is going to reciprocate. So that gave us a good little entertaining battle. Then, uh, then we had Germany, which was wet Grand Prix. It caused a lot of chaos, a lot of people were in surprise contention for the podium, ended up crashing out or having problems. And then we had one of the best podiums in a long time with Verstappen winning the race, even though he had a 360 spin. Uh, Danny Fiat, first podium since being dumped by Red Bull all those years ago. And also a double Honda Red uh, double Honda podium finish as well, first time for, for, for a long time. And Seb on the podium too, um, just to try and get a bit of redemption after what happened last year. It, it won't bring back the win, but it was still a good way to end it. And then Hungary, we had this, you know, 
a tail of a lion and a mouse and um, Lewis chasing down Max. Max made the, uh, you know, was on an okay strategy, but Hamilton and Mercedes, or sorry, Mercedes more so, took the risk to put Hamilton to a two-stop. Hamilton questioned it, questioned it, questioned it, but in the end it was justified because he was able to pass Verstappen and win the race. So, you know, even though we said earlier that this would have been an intra-Mercedes battle between the teammates. It's sort of been like Lewis Hamilton on his own at this point of the year. And Max Verstappen is kind of like the title contender that isn't because he is 69 points behind Hamilton at the moment. And you'd have to expect Hamilton to have a few crashes or non-points finishes, DNFs or whatever, for Max to be able to claw back that deficit and we still don't know yet whether Red Bull are going to take penalties and whatnot for their Honda Power units it's been talked about but even the gap between Hamilton and Bottas is 62 points at the moment and Bottas is sort of under a lot of pressure right now to hold on to his seat at Mercedes and the last two races in Germany and also Hungary his performances there wouldn't have really helped his case Hungary in particular because uh, crashing on the first lap with uh, Charles Leclerc. So a lot of thinking to do for Mercedes. You know, I personally, for you know, the sake of team harmony, also consistency, but also to keep, uh, to give Hamilton the best chance of winning a seventh title next year, if he goes on to win this year's title, which is looking very likely, um, then you'd keep Bottas. You wouldn't want to bring someone like Esteban Ocon onto the team to disrupt that harmony and everything and be a thorn in Lewis Hamilton's side but at the same time Hamilton's the one who's uh, relishing the chance of having Max and Charles step up you know he's almost just written off Seb altogether but also wants to see Max and Charles give a crack have a crack at him so that'll be interesting to see and as for Seb he's you know almost 100 points off Lewis Hamilton in the championship at this stage. He's down in fourth. He's behind Bottas and Verstappen. So, yeah, not looking good for Ferrari. And then in the Constructors' Championship too, it's a it's a very big deficit. So, yeah, you know, Ferrari basically have got to do their best to hang on to second now because Red Bull are coming for them. So, on the topic of Red Bull, I guess I kind of devoted a separate little segment here to Red Bull's rise with Honda or Honda's rise with Red Bull if you want to call it you know you can say that no questions can be asked or no questions were asked about this partnership after the first race of the season where Verstappen was on the podium and as I said before 35 seconds ahead of the fourth placed Ferrari of Seb Vettel so you know certainly I wouldn't have had my money on Red Bull to be in the position that they were this that they are at the moment this year and also so close in the last few races to Mercedes and fighting very closely with them so you know 2020 is it time for them to push for the title you'd say yes I don't think it can be possible this year even though mathematically it's not ruled out of the equation but for Verstappen certainly second in the championship is really realistic and what would you 
do with your Valtteri Bottas. I mean, he's already under a lot of pressure to keep that drive there. I mean, he's been a solid contributor to the, the points haul, and it looks like Mercedes are going to go six out of six constructors' championships. But for the future, do they have to to do what uh, Red Bull have done as far as dropping Gasly to, you know, get a driver that could score more points for them, you know? So that's another big thing, you know, the form of Red Bull this year kind of justifies the decision to drop Gasly, who just hasn't been able to get to grips with the car and the team. He's just been far undercooked for a big team. But why Albon is the right choice well you know given that he has had form this year for Toro Rosso it's kind of like well Kvyat is already a known quantity at Red Bull so why not try the new kid so it could easily backfire the same way that it did with Gasly promoting him this early in his career to Red Bull but they kind of had no choice because of Ricardo leaving Red Bull at the end of last year so Yeah, ultimately, I guess what will justify this whole switch mid-season is if Red Bull can overturn Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. They're only 44 points behind. We know that Ferrari are yet to win a race this year. Verstappen, (coughs) sorry, Verstappen sitting pretty ahead of both the Ferrari drivers as well in the Drivers' Championship. So, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, but it looks like they could have pulled off a masterstroke here. And look, you know, if they do achieve second in the championship with Verstappen and with Red and Red Bull, the team itself, then that could be one of the better one of the better stories of this year. You know, we've seen oh Mercedes have run away with the championship, but it's definitely a springboard. Like I'd have more hope for Red Bull to be in title contention next year than I do with Ferrari, because Ferrari, it took them until the middle of the year to admit that their their philosophy for a low downforce car was the wrong way to go. Like, didn't they realise that after the first four races, or even after Barcelona, the fifth race, when they got to bring an update package? You know, for a team with the resources available to the disposal, as Ferrari does, it's kind of a very... Um, they've had a very slow year as far as realizing these mistakes and sort of rectifying them so yeah it's and this is where the whole thing about Sebastian Vettel comes into the equation too is whether because of where they are is that contributing to his lack of form as well all the mistakes he's making will he stay for another year if it's going to be like this or should he just pull the pin on his career you know the optimist will want to say or got to wait and see what it's like next year because maybe Ferrari might have the, the car to win the championship next year and imagine that if we have a three-way uh, battle between Ferrari, Red Bull and Mercedes for the championship it'll be like 2010 all over again but it, there's a lot of ifs at this stage then you know things that are certainties so for Red Bull and Honda it's it, I yeah, it's just very hard to come up with anything bad to say, even though I don't really like Red Bull as much as an organisation. But for Honda, I'm quite pleased because of what they've had to endure with over, over the last few years. Their partnership with McLaren didn't turn out the way it was going to be. So, yeah, to, to be able to get in the position they are, they are now, it's um, really pleasing. So... You can totally see them now achieving those uh, five wins that Helmut Marco set out for them earlier in the year. 
in the second half of the season. And who knows, what if Albon gets up there to, to win a race as well? That'll totally justify the reason to drop Gasly in favour of Albon. So, final thoughts then on the championship itself. Well, it's pretty much Lewis Hamilton for the sixth title, you know. Um, he could go on a run, win ten races now. In the, <laughs> yeah, oh, no, there's no... Uh, yeah, sorry. There's not even 10 races left in the championship, so he can't go on a run and beat, um, or sorry, equal Michael Schumacher's win record at the end of this year. It'll have to come next year. But yeah, Lewis Hamilton, he's poised to take it, the sixth championship. It's been a bit disappointing that this year there's not been anyone to really challenge him. But the quality of races we've seen, you know, especially in the last four, Austria, Britain, Germany, and in Hungary... If that's the kind of racing that we're in for in the future, especially with Red Bull in contention, Ferrari potentially mixing it in there as well, then there's a lot to look forward to for next year. And I know people are going to still bash up the championship, bash up Formula One for what's transpired this year and Mercedes over the last few years, how dominant they've been. But at least it's taking the right steps and everything. But... What it doesn't do is really change how there's still this gulf between those top three teams and the rest of the competition. And that's where I'm heading to next with the best of the rest. You know, this is almost like a championship within a championship, you know, Formula 1.5, whatever you want to call it. And you've got to say the leaders, the undoubted leaders in that uh, mini championship or whatever you want to call it has to be McLaren. And this is so pleasing to see. You know, for all the McLaren fans out there, of which I am one of them still, um, in a good, you know, which is a good thing, you know, stand by your team. You know, you want to talk about standing by a team, you know, see how the North Queensland Cowboys are going at the moment. I'm still with them, of course. You know, they're not enduring the best of times and everything. So, um, yeah, but McLaren, they've had a renaissance year, you got to say. They've stepped it up likes of Haas and Renault, they've gone backwards, Alfa Romeo, which was uh, born out of Sauber, have done a solid job too, especially with Kimi Raikkonen, he's just been a perfect fit in that team, you know, less pressure, less scrutiny than there was at Ferrari last couple of years, it's kind of like he's back at in this kind of environment that he had at Lotus when he was there in 2012 and 2013, but with a car that can't give him the opportunity for podiums just yet, but most of the points, or pretty much 99% of the points, have been scored by Kimi consistently in the top 10, consistently racing well. So he's done a great job for Alpha in that sense. And, you know, sitting, you know, second, you know, sorry, eighth in the championship behind Carlos Sainz, who's leading the um, midfielders at the moment, is pretty good. And, you know, for Alpha as well, the 32 points since seventh in the Constructors' Championship. So. You know, for Antonio Giovinazzi, I guess he's not really had the best of years so far, but he's kind of in a position where, because he's got the Ferrari backing and everything, you don't think he'll lose his seat. But 
one point in the first half of the season isn't really ideal, especially when your teammate is doing a lot more. But there's a lot that Giovinazzi is probably learning from Kimi as well, which is really good for the future as well. And you've got to remember too, they've still got an appeal impending from the German Grand Prix where both cars were stripped of their points because of a clutch infringement at the start. So if they were able to overturn that, which seems unlikely, they would get those points back. But, you know, at this stage, it still says that Giovinazzi's got the one point so they're going to have to do a bit better on his side of the garage in the second half of the season but on McLaren like they've had the worst spell in their entire Formula 1 existence over the last few years even last year making the switch to Renault Power um, from after they ditched Honda wasn't still the greatest of seasons they started off pretty optimistic but then you know Later on in the season, they just dropped away. They've cleared out the house, you know, cleared up shop. They've got a new driver lineup, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, a young driver lineup, largely unproven. But with that also comes less scrutiny, you know, with Fernando Alonso there last year, there was questions being asked pretty much every single session about everything. You know, they've changed, there's been a lot of management changes as well. So Andreas Seidel was the big name appointment this year coming over from Porsche to be the team principal allowing Zach Brown to basically step away and look after the organization as a whole Andreas Stella stepped up as well in in the engineering department you've got uh, James Key there as the technical director as well so really all these pieces that McLaren have been putting together that Zach Brown has been putting together for the last sort of 18 months are sort of are really coming to fruition now and for science you know the performances he's had this season so far so he's had a two best results of fifth which are in the last two races in Germany and Hungary um, he's five points off Pierre Gasly as best in the championship Gasly mind you has been racing in the Red Bull which is a a race-winning car, so it just goes to show you where science is, and, you know, Red Bull, they're probably really kicking themselves for letting science go as well, because uh, he could have been a driver that could have stepped up to Red Bull to partner Verstappen this year, but it's good to see that science has branched out on his own accord and is um, doing rather well for McLaren, you know, definitely a long-term prospect you could see at that team if they do get back into title contention in a few years' time. And as with Lando Norris too, a stellar rookie season for him. He's been very self-critical at times this season, you know, which is kind of surprising because you'd be like, well, you know, that was still a really good result, Lando, but he's like, no, 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 I could have done better and this and that. Slams his glass of milk on the table or whatever. He's, He's just been great as Lando Norris, just in general. If you follow him on social media, he's... Of very much what they call a meme lord and everything as well so he's got a great sense of humor and when it comes to racing he's been really strong this year too and for me it's just watching him go toe-to-toe with Kimi Raikkonen a couple of times this year he's just not shown any quarter which is you know for a guy that's uh, almost half the age of Kimi Raikkonen or more than half the age of Kimi Raikkonen it is quite something so best results of sixth coming in Bahrain and Austria which were I think the races where he did go toe-to-toe to to Kimi as well Uh, Lando has been quite stellar this year but then he's had the the rotten luck of the reliability stick at McLaren while Sainz has sort of been 
able to get away with it a little bit more. But yeah, Norris is definitely one that over the next few years, if McLaren do continue to rise, you can totally see him as a guy that's going to be bothering um, science for some good results later down the track. Toro Rosso, they've um, you got to say their season's been buoyed by the podium uh, from Danny Kvyat in Germany, second podium in Toro Rosso's existence, but also just for Kvyat, you know, being given the opportunity to come back to F1 this year after losing his drive a couple of years ago. He's uh, been solid. Albon, his performances or his appointment now at Red Bull for Belgium onwards sort of speaks for his performances. He's, apart from a couple of crashes where, you know, just they were rookie errors, he's just been a quiet achiever. He's got along with the job. He's been very mature in his conduct and everything as well. Um, And let's not forget that this guy, up until the pre-season hadn't driven an F1 car before he was getting himself ready to race for Nissan in Formula E um, over the in the last Formula E season so Albon has done a great job justifies his uh, him moving up into Red Bull but Kvyat as I said before a known quantity at Red Bull it's understandable that he didn't get the appointment and his maturity and whatnot is probably what's needed at Toro Rosso too to continue their run of form and to be scoring points over there. So whether for 2020 you look at Kvyat to move up over there if uh, Albon doesn't really perform, you could have a look at that. But otherwise, for now, it's just good to see Kvyat back in Formula 1 and racing with the uh, in the Red Bull family. This is where... <laughs> You know, you could probably do a whole podcast on its own about Renault and then what they've been like this season. And I guess Renault, for two reasons, they've probably got more attention than they normally do this season. One, obviously because Daniel Ricciardo made the big decision to leave Red Bull, who now at this stage of the year have won two races and had many podiums, and go to Renault, who are still... They're not even on top of the midfield. They're, you know, struggling to beat other teams. You know, they're struggling to beat their customer team, which is McLaren, you know, that they're using the Renault engines. So this is where, you know, the decision to for Renault... Oh, this is where... Oh, I don't know. Renault. Manufacturer team... They were supposed to make a big step up this year. You would have thought that they'd be sitting fourth in the constructors all year. That's not happened. They are... Where are they? Let's have a look. They are behind Toro Rosso even in sixth in the championships. So Toro Rosso up into fifth. The questions are going to be asked, I guess, of Renault if they don't step things up in the second half of the year. Ricardo has had a best finish of sixth so far this season. Hulkenberg 7th, very inconsistent, a lot of unreliability. Whether it was the wrong decision for Ricardo to make, you know, we'll, can, we can only fairly judge that at the end of the year. But what is going to be key is if they don't get their things right, they don't play their cards correctly, you know, they might not be making that step that they want in next year. I mean, next year is always going to be that sort of step where uh, do they sort of get into podium contention or, you know, they make that step up close towards Red Bull and Ferrari. 
doesn't seem like at this stage that they are. And Renault have always been a team that's sort of, they're a manufacturer team, but with a uh, midfield or independent team mentality of spending. You know, they don't want to blow the big bucks like uh, we see the manufacturer teams do, like Red Bull, Ferrari and whatnot. But perhaps they need to now invest. Like, well, that's just... Renault, the organisation themselves, they don't want to do that, but perhaps that's what's required to be able to uh, make that step up. Otherwise, they're going to be stuck in the uh, midfield forever. And to have a driver like Ricardo on hand, who is a race winner, who was, can still be a title contender if in the right car, it's not really the right situation to be in. So they've really got to make strides in the next part of the season. They're chasing fourth in the constructors, which, you know, McLaren are doing a good job, and I think McLaren can still get better. So Renault have got to do an even better job to get themselves ahead. So, yeah, not much more to say without going on to a big rant about Renault, but, you know, that's it. The results have got to do the talking for them. That's basically it, you've got to say. Another team that really needs some results on the board is Haas, and Haas, I guess, they've just had the struggles on those Pirelli tyres this year that their car just not suited to it. It's not like Pirelli are going to change their tyres this year, so it's up to Haas to get their car right for the rest of the year. And, you know, they've had to, in the last couple of races, go on divergent um, divergent car setups and aero setups on Grosjean and Magnussen's cars. So Grosjean has ended up going back to the Australian Grand Prix spec car, whereas Magnussen's running the updated car. But even still, they've had so many problems uh, internally with teammates clashing. They've both sort of got into trouble with each other quite a bit over the last few races. So regardless of that, you know, regardless of the car troubles, they just got to avoid hitting each other to be able to finish the races as well, which Grosjean this year has been very dreadful. Very unlikely that he'll stick around for next year unless given another chance by Haas, but they've just got to stop hitting each other basically that's the uh that's the thing magnuson has been solid you know whenever the car's got the pace especially in qualifying they've got the one lap qualifying pace and magnuson will get the car into the top 10 even the top six but when it comes to the racing it's not a lack of the driver's effort it's just the car cannot last on those pirelli tires and they just drop away so that's really not ideal for those guys you got to look forward to i guess if they can make a difference in the second half of the season because they're sitting second last in the championship. There's no real threat from behind with Williams. They're sort of on their own at the moment. But if Haas want to move up a little bit, they've got to make some inroads with that car and how it manages the Pirelli tyres as well. Racing point, not a lot has been said about them this year. And I guess it's really not really fair to be criticising them or anything because... Their problems this year have been a legacy of their financial issues from last year. But you know the team's in stable hands now. They're really just re—they are really just rebuilding. So, if anything, the second half of this year could be where we see them make a step up into regularly scoring points, or even wait till next year. You know, it's not like they're losing out much. You know, they've been a consistent benchmark of the midfield. Perez, still a really strong driver um, in the midfield. Lance Stroll as well has really stepped up to the plate and shown some good performances in Germany. He 
you know was one of the first drivers to pull the trigger on the uh, last tyre stop that ended up seeing a few of those guys from the back head up towards the podium. Unfortunately for Stroll, he missed out with Vettel taking that spot, but, you know, still finishing fourth was quite solid. And Perez, you know, he's been a guy who's taken that team to the podium on several occasions in his career so far. So, you know, if anything, it's the second half of the year that we're going to see those guys head up uh, into the points a lot more regularly if not next year, which, you know, which is why I'm not too worried about um, their condition. It's not like last year where the team was on tenterhooks and everything and um, there was no certainty for their future. They've got their seat, uh, they've got their future well looked after now with the Stroll, uh, with Stroll Senior, of course, leading a consortium, Canadian owners and everything. It's going to look a whole lot better for them. And Williams, I guess. Williams, they've... We've already talked a lot about their season. Basically, it's just it's just gone horribly wrong. Paddy Lowe had ended up quitting, so now the team can rebuild. And what's a shining light for Williams has been George Russell's performances in the car. So the reigning F2 world champion has come in and had a strong debut, but it's been masked by the car issues that Williams have had this year. And also the fact that Robert Kubitzer was able to pick up 10th place in Germany because of the Alfa Romeo disqualification so Kubitzer who himself has not had a really good season so far has had the only point that Williams has scored in 2019 so you know if Williams can make some progress this year towards the points I'm sure Russell will be one to to pick him up but at the same time He's a driver that you've got to keep an eye on for the future. He's consistently outperformed Kubitzer in all departments. And it's I feel bad for Kubitzer because, you know, we were looking forward to a potential fairy tale comeback for him. However many years he's been out of Formula One, the recovery that he had to undertake after that uh, rallying accident and everything as well. It just, yeah, you know, it would have been great to see him do well, but it looks like this may he be his uh, one and only season back in the sport, and I guess Williams' situation doesn't really help him, but at the same time, his own personal performances have been far off what the expectation would have been against uh, a strong rookie teammate in which George Russell is. So finally, to round things out for this review special thing <laughs> whatever you want to think of it <laughs> um rounding it out talking about i guess formula one in general this year and i've already sort of alluded to it about how after the french grand prix there was a lot of pitchforks out for you know everyone because the state of the championship how mercedes basically can run away with it and it's not really exciting for the fans and everything but then we had those four races up until the mid-season break that was really good, you know, um, four epic races. You know, I guess what's needed now is the title race to have a second contender in there, which isn't a Mercedes driver. You know, we need Ferrari or Red Bull or whoever to be able to sustain a championship challenge all the way to the end of the season, which Ferrari have not been able to do over the last couple of years. And, you know, this year we can completely dismiss it happening but for next year you know if Lewis is going to win a sixth title this year then at least make him work a lot harder for a seventh next year you know because he'll be on track to equal Schumacher's record but if 
we have Max Verstappen up there and pushing him up until the final race in Abu Dhabi next year, then Lewis might not be able to do that. So this is what we're going to have to look out for. We had the change in front wing regulations this year, and I guess it was talked about a lot last year as being potentially the thing that's going to give us the better racing, but a lot of the driver feedback is that it's not really improved the situation. It's not really improved following other cars closely when you're behind them. So that's why I guess we don't really talk about it much because it's not been a big, big difference in what things have been like this year. So... I guess when it comes to regulation changes, we've got to really put our eggs into the 2021 basket and hope that what they're proposing or what's going to be set in stone is going to be what makes Formula One exciting, you know, appealing to a whole new generation of fans and also get some of the lost fans back on board, you know, closer racing, cheaper racing to allow the independent teams like your Williams or your McLaren or your Haas and stuff to get into to contention to win races and also be on the podium like I've always talked about the idea of you know how it is in MotoGP where yeah your satellite bikes might not be able to fight for the championship but they can be up there on every any given weekend to pick up a podium or to to win the race so that wouldn't be a bad thing to have an F1 but when you've got names like Williams and McLaren who in the past have won many championships in Formula 1, you reckon that you would think that having them back into title contention in the future would be would be really good for Formula 1, not just have it as a manufacturer's monopoly. So, yeah, we'll just have to see how that pans out. But looking ahead, just for 2020, there's been a lot of speculation about the calendar as well. 22 races potentially now we're going to have whether the teams will agree with that or not so the idea is to still have the um, calendar capped at 21 races it's ideal for the teams and everything as well but yeah you know Spain looking at potentially coming back to not coming back sorry but um, keeping its spot on the calendar so if they do that then we're going to have 21, sorry, 22 races if we've got the new Dutch Grand Prix, the Vietnamese Grand Prix coming in. It's just Germany that um, will drop off the calendar. And we had confirmed as well a couple of weeks ago, or just after the um, mid-season break, that the Mexican Grand Prix has been renewed for another few years as well. So we'll get to see Mexico on the grid for a while longer. So you've got to say, <laughs> you've got to say that, yeah, you know, 22 races will be a stretch, I guess, for those people who do have to travel um, week in, week out to these races. But, you know, if it means that it's more exciting, then that would be good. But at the same time, we want all the races to be of good quality, not, you know, um, just, you know, having bore fests like the French Grand Prix, for example. Nothing that, it's not the French Grand Prix's fault, it's just, the way it was that it really wasn't uh, just wasn't really that exciting so yeah I don't know there's a lot that could change that would be good but it really it really depends now on the power brokers and seeing what decision they come to how quickly they can come to that decision and whether we're going to be grateful for it later on down the track because you know 
it, we've still got a, another full year of racing to go before we get to 2021 and we get to see what the new Formula 1 will look like. But I reckon there's enough on the table at the moment to warrant next year being a good year as well with, you know, potentially three teams vying for the World Championship. And, you know, if even if it's just two teams, if it's Red Bull and Mercedes or Ferrari and Mercedes uh, going in there, then it's going to be pretty good, just as long as they can sustain it to the end of the season. So, yeah. What my expectations for the rest of the year are like now? Well, I'd just like to see more races like we have recently. See a couple more winners in the circle. Ferrari, their best opportunity to win a race will be the next two races, which are the low downforce tracks, Spa and Monza. A Ferrari win at Monza would be quite significant as well. Um, not since Fernando Alonso has that happened back in 2011 so or 2010, I think. So it would be quite significant. Red Bull to potentially do have the, the possibility to win a couple more races this year. I would really like to see Albon do well there. Then in the midfield, McLaren, they've worked so hard to get to where they are. I reckon if they can seal out fourth in the constructors, that's going to be a big victory for them. Haas need to improve, Renault need to improve, Williams slowly on the way back, so yeah, that's about it, but I think that should wrap things up for this special, <laughs> special review, whatever you want to call it, um, that's about it, I'm going to re separately record, not too long after this, separately record the Silly Season special, which I won't upload until probably the weekend, so you guys can keep a look out on that. I'll post the relevant links on Twitter and everything. Um, but yeah, we've got another week to go before we're back racing in Spa. So next week, Thursday, back to the normal schedule, race preview, talk about uh, the Bend Super Sprint as well, which is on this weekend, going to be there on Sunday. So that's going to be really exciting and uh whatever other news that uh, makes the rounds over the next week. So until then, thank you for joining me this week. Sorry again for sounding a little bit nasally. It's just the weather is so up and down here at the moment and I'm actually really excited to just duck into the countryside out of the big cities for a little bit to just clear up the, uh, the sinuses as well. So that'll be really good for me. So hopefully next week when I talk... Um, I do not sound as nasally as I do this time. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Tune in again for the Market Watch special, and I will be back proper for next week. <laughs>